And we're just glad that everybody's here together to support the family. Tonight on Global News Hour, a young firefighter killed battling a wildfire is remembered as a hero and an inspiration at her memorial in Revelstoke. Plus, they are stronger today than they have ever been. The Hells Angels mark a milestone anniversary here in BC under the watchful eye of police and then. We just wanted to make sure that we got a spot. Um, it's really popular. Hundreds of thousands of people expected at the celebration of light tonight as Team Australia kicks off the competition. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with an emotional public tribute in Revelstoke this afternoon for a young wildland firefighter who died in the line of duty trying to protect her community. Erin MacArthur joins us now live from Revelstoke with more on today's memorial for Devin Gale. Erin? Yeah, Julie, just an emotional gut punch this afternoon in Revelstoke. Devin Gale described as really the brightest of lights extinguished far too early. More than 1,300 people came out to support her family. Hundreds strong, remembering one of their own. Carrying her boots and gear, members of Devon Gale's crew joined by firefighters from around the province. Gale died on the job July 13th, a falling tree struck the BC Wildfire Service firefighter while she was working near Revelstoke. Her crewmates, including her brother, pulled her from the debris and performed first aid. She died as a result of her injuries a short time later. I'm grateful to have been close to you when the tree fell. I'm grateful to have been one of the people who pulled you out from under it because it meant I got a few extra minutes with you. Devin Gale was just 19 years old. She was remembered as smart, tough, hardworking, this was her third summer fighting fires. She had just finished her second year of nursing at UBC Okanagan. For someone so young, she had already made a huge difference in the lives of her friends, her family, and her community. Deb was not only my sister, but my best friend. Her favorite type of tree, sorry, was the western red cedar, and her favorite flowers were purple lilacs. She liked tide pools, swimming in glacial lakes in the summer sun. Her heart was open, and her mind was always searching for ways to enrich hers and others' lives. According to the government, Gail is the first BC Wildfire Service staff member to die on the job in more than 20 years. It's been nearly 10 years since any fatality on wildfires in this province. The job is not without its risks, a fact remembered by everyone in the room. Her name will be known, will be spoken, will be celebrated, and will serve as a reminder to us all of the dangers inherent with the work that we do. Gail leaves behind two siblings, her parents, an extended family, and a community devastated by her death. Now that moment of remembrance this afternoon was 
far too short. Most of those wildland firefighters are back on the job tonight. There's been lightning in the area here in the Columbia Valley, and new fires have been sparked. That's the Hinron Creek fire that you can see behind us. Smoke clearly visible from Revelstoke. BC Wildfire Service says there's no danger to structures at this moment, but it is burning in steep terrain right near Revelstoke. One of many fires burning in the Southeast Fire Center. And considering there are still a month and a half to go really in the fire season, a lot of those people at this memorial today will be extremely busy for the remainder of the summer. Julie. All right, thank you, Aaron. That's Aaron MacArthur reporting live for us tonight from Revelstoke. Devin Gale is the third person to die while battling wildfires in this country this month. Two days after Gale was killed, a firefighter from the Northwest Territories also died. 25-year-old Adam Yeadon was a father to a two-year-old girl. He was also killed by a falling tree just north of the B.C. border. Earlier this week, a helicopter pilot battling a wildfire in Alberta died in a crash near Peace River. 41-year-old Ryan Gould leaves behind a wife and two boys. Now to today's firefight. The B.C. Wildfire Service says there are currently 460 active fires burning in the province. 66 sparked in the last 24 hours and 276 are considered out of control. In terms of wildfires of note, one burning near Cranbrook has now grown to more than 4,000 hectares. Flames from the St. Mary's River wildfire were visible overnight. It's suspected rather to be human caused and the wildfire is still considered out of control as more teams from around the province and outside Canada have come to help. Nearly 70 homes are on evacuation order while another 135 are on evacuation alert. The public is advised to stay away from observing fire suppression efforts due to safety reasons. West of Lillooette, an evacuation order related to the Casper Creek fire keeps expanding. It included SLRD properties between Highline Road and Mission Mountain Road. And this afternoon, the order expanded to the entire area of Seton Portage and Shalath. Now it expanded to 12 hectares today from just 528 hectares Friday. There are two fires threatening structures in the Kamloops Fire Center. The Lower East Adams Lake fire burning 21 kilometers north of Chase is now 320 hectares. The Adams Lake Indian Band, Columbia Shushwap Regional District and the Thompson Nicola Regional District have all issued evacuation alerts. But at least at last report, the fire was growing away from at risk communities. One person has been taken to hospital in critical condition after a near drowning at Sassamat Lake. BC Emergency Health Services says it was called to White Pine Beach at 4 p.m. Four ambulances responded and the victim was taken to hospital. The age of the person is unclear. Port Moody police say the lake has been evacuated and people are asked to avoid the area. Four days into the Amber Alert for two missing Surrey siblings and police say they are following up on tips, including some from out of province. They're asking anyone who might have spotted them to come forward. There is still no sign of eight-year-old Aurora Bolton and 10-year-old Joshua. RCMP believe the children are with their mother, Verity Bolton, and two men, Verity's boyfriend and Braxis Glazov, who is 53 years old, and her father, 74-year-old Robert Bolton. 
Police say they may be traveling in a dark blue 2012 Dodge Ram 2500 pickup truck, pulling one of three trailers, including a fifth wheel trailer. The children were supposed to be returned to their father on July 17th after a vacation in the Okanagan with their mother. It is possible that they could be traveling around throughout the Okanagan or throughout the interior, but as I said, we've also received tips now uh, of possible sightings in Saskatchewan and in Alberta. We do have a message for Verity uh, and Robert and Abraxas. If they're listening or watching this, we need to hear from the children. It's really important that you get in touch with the police. We need you to contact us. If you spot the children, their mother, or the two men with them, do not approach them and instead call 911. Vancouver police are investigating a shooting at a popular local park Friday night that sent one person to hospital. The shooting happened at Andy Livingston Park in Chinatown. Now BC Emergency Health Services says one person was in critical condition when they were rushed to hospital. The VPD says it's not believed to be gang-related and the suspect and victim know each other. The suspect so far remains at large. Police on the Lower Mainland are keeping a watchful eye on a local chapter of the Hells Angels as more than 300 members of the notorious motorcycle gang from across Canada meet to hold a 40th anniversary weekend bash. As Paul Johnson reports, officials believe it might be the largest HA gathering in BC history. How's this for a surreal sight? A cluster of Hells Angels and Associates manning the gate to their chapter house in Langley. Across the street, a line of Mounties watching the procession of Harleys and leather-clad men ambling in. We've been taking pictures and, and monitoring them all week as they've been coming into British Columbia. Forty years in BC, and by all accounts, the Hells Angels appear to be thriving in middle age. The RCMP estimate there were more than 100 full-patch members in the province and hundreds more prospects and hangabouts. But for anyone intrigued by the outlaw biker image, the Mounties will remind you they believe the Hells Angels sit atop the organized crime hierarchy in B.C. And law-abiding society is worse off because of it. We've had communities, and I would say especially communities like Kelowna, for example, uh, where there have been multiple shootings and homicides directly related to the Hells Angels. They are stronger today than they have ever been. SFU criminologist Hillary Morden attributes their staying power to savvy manipulation of the justice system and a recruiting boost from the popular TV series Sons of Anarchy. I need to know that every single one of you would die for the man next to him. The Hells Angels was finding themselves in a position after the aughts of aging and not too much young blood had come in. They didn't have too many younger recruits. As to the anniversary festivity set for Saturday night, the Mountie said it doesn't take too much imagination to figure out this scene. When we asked the Hells Angels at the gate if we could come in for a look, he said only if you earn a patch first. Then he shook our hands wished us a good day. In Langley, Paul Johnson, Global News. A Point Grey home was destroyed following an early morning second alarm fire. 
flames began shooting out of this three story in the 4200 block of West 12th Avenue around 440 this morning. When fire crews arrived, the first two floors were fully engulfed. All the occupants of the home escaped safely after the smoke alarms were activated. It was an older building with um, old construction, uh, heavy frame, heavy timber frame construction. It was a bit challenging for our crews, but uh, we had um, quick response and quick action. There were four occupants in the house and they were alerted to uh, leave the building by a smoke alarm that, that proved to be uh, invaluable and critical for their escape. The damage to the structure is severe. No word yet on a cause. Exactly one month ago, BC Hydro apologized for the failures that caused an underground vault on a busy downtown Vancouver street to suddenly explode. And now, as Kristen Robinson reports, BC's energy utility regulator has ordered the Crown Corporation to submit a third-party report addressing its culture and safety of and compliance. Witnesses say it was a miracle no one was killed. Five months after an underground vault explosion and fire in downtown Vancouver injured two people and damaged businesses, the BC Utilities Commission ordering BC Hydro to do an independent third-party investigation into its safety practices and culture. We are very concerned about the incident that took place and we take safety matters seriously. It's part of our mandate to make sure that utilities deliver safe and reliable service to their customers. And this incident should never have happened. BC Hydro's CEO admitting the explosion was preventable. The Crown Corporation had been warned seven years earlier when a report flagged 14 underground vaults as being high risks of causing severe injury or death if not properly maintained. Equipment was replaced in 13 vaults, but not Burrard Street. This vault was identified as being a risk of blowing up as far back as 2016, yet nothing was done until it exploded in February. Is that correct? Yes, the vault was um, identified as a risk, um, and it was um, that information was provided to management. It was not escalated within the organization. The BCUC wasn't uh, appropriately notified that that 2016 report had been produced, and, and of the I guess the risk to begin with. BC Hydro fully supportive of the BCUC direction. Its boss saying the work will be overseen by our board of directors independent from management and appointed by our shareholder, the government of BC. But ultimately it's Hydro's fault that this happened and an accountability issue is what caused this. J.J. Bean owner John Neat's location in the Marine Building still closed after the February fire erupted under his sidewalk patio. He recently received 60 grand from Hydro as a goodwill gesture, a fraction of what he suspects his damage claim will be. Maybe it was a one-time thing, maybe it's never going to happen again, but if this is the way that accountability works throughout a whole bunch of different issues with Hydro, then many of us could be in danger. BC Hydro began a technical review of its underground street vault equipment earlier this month. The results expected to be filed with the BCUC next March. The report on its safety culture due by November 30th. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Straight ahead on Global News Hour, ready to light up the sky. What to look forward to as the West End prepares for the celebration of light this evening. Plus, an end to the months-long transit strike in the Fraser Valley. But when will service be restored? Details on that when we come back.
It's the return of a summertime tradition in Vancouver. The first night of the annual Celebration of Light fireworks show. Travis Prasad joins us from English Bay, where a lot of people have already staked out the prime viewing spots. Travis? They already have, Julie. It's quite busy down here, and yeah, it's been like this for pretty much the whole day. You can feel the excitement as a steady stream of people come down to English Bay to find their spot on the beach. The food trucks are open, the music is playing, and it's not long now until the show gets underway. Every year, there's always the fireworks fanatics who show up hours early to get the best view. I go here like 11. Yeah, it's uh, getting pretty packed. It's a pretty busy event, so we wanted to get here really early. Yeah, so that's, I think, what, 11 hours before the fireworks go off? Yeah. <laughs> the crowd's growing by the minute, and so too is the excitement on the first day of competition. I've also never seen the Australian uh, fireworks, so like, I'm excited to see like all three this year. On Friday, we ventured out to the fireworks barge in the bay for a behind-the-scenes look at Team Australia's pyrotechnics. What we see behind us is mortars, a very old style. We bury them in sand, so if something should detonate there, that it's not going to affect whatever's next to it. These tubes don't look like much, but they'll soon light up the night sky. Everything's timed to the, to the millisecond, really, to the music. So all the, all the timing is imperative to the show design. Now in its 31st year, the Celebration of Light is the longest-running offshore fireworks competition in the world, attracting 1.3 million people over three nights. It's BC's largest public event. And generates an economic impact of over $200 million a year. Uh, so it's a very significant tourism driver and one of the, one of the most beloved events in the region. So with the influx of people in the downtown core, it's important to make sure everyone gets around safe. And with more on that, I'm now joined by Constable Tanya Vizentine with the Vancouver Police. Tanya, how is the VPD preparing for tonight? So it's great to be back second year post-pandemic. Uh, as you can see, the crowds are uh, lively tonight. Uh, we are expecting major crowds coming down. Obviously, it's a nice night here in Vancouver. Uh, we will have officers deployed from all of our sections. We have officers on foot, on horses. Um, our Marine unit will be out. We'll also have our VPD drone up. And that's just a way for our officers to see or to monitor the crowds. If there's an issue going on on the beach, it helps our officers uh, deploy safely. So uh, we ask everyone to have a safe night tonight leave your drugs and alcohol at home and just enjoy the night if you need us call us yeah and really quickly it's it's inevitable that it seems every year a child gets separated from their parents or guardians do you have any quick tips in those cases definitely it does happen every year we always find them but i do know it creates a bit of panic and anxiety for those involved uh Three simple tips. Um, take a photo of your child. Uh, put your phone number in their pocket. Um, it's just a really easy way for us to, to find them. Okay, we'll leave it there. Tanya, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you've still got some time to get down to the beach. The fireworks start at 10 p.m. If you can't make it tonight, you can also come out on Wednesday. That'll be Mexico or the Philippines next Saturday, closing out the celebration of light. So just a few more hours until the show gets underway here, Julie, and you can already tell it's going to be a pretty busy one down here. All right, thanks so much for this, Travis.
Well, the company behind bus service in the Fraser Valley says its deal with union members has now been ratified, ending a months-long strike in the Fraser Valley. First Transit says return to work efforts are underway with maintenance staff, so transit service can be restored as early as possible. Return to full service is expected to take several days. The first priority is Handy Dart, which will start taking reservations on Monday. Workers have been off the job since March, canceling all but essential Handy Dart service. QP was striking for pay and pension improvements. Coming up on the news hour, a man charged with murder, the latest on the fatal shooting at a vineyard in Oliver as police search for more clues. Plus, the 70th anniversary of the Korean War armistice. Now, those stories and more when we return. Charges have now been laid in connection with a homicide in Oliver. As Victoria Famia reports, a suspect was arrested soon after a body was found near a local vineyard. The B.C. Major Crime Unit is investigating after a man was found shot and killed at a vineyard here in Oliver earlier this week. RCMP were called to a vineyard in the Rye Grass Road area on Wednesday, where they found a 29-year-old man deceased. There are several vineyards along that stretch of road, and police did not confirm which one the victim was located at. According to Mounties, the left the scene before police arrived. But later that day, he was tracked down at his residence, where Oliver resident Pedro Murillo was arrested. Murillo is being charged with second-degree murder and will remain in custody. Police say the investigation is still in its early stages, but can confirm there is no risk to public safety. Investigators are asking anyone who may have information or dash cam footage of the Rye Grass Road area on the afternoon of July 19th to come forward. Victoria Famia, Global News, Oliver. The 70th anniversary of the Korean War armistice was commemorated this morning in Burnaby. Representatives from the federal government, along with 11 veterans from the Korean War and the families attended the service at Central Park. A joint Canada-Korea wreath was laid at the Burnaby Korean War Memorial Site. More than 26,000 Canadians served in the conflict from 1950 to 1953, and 516 Canadians died. I would like to take a moment to recognize and thank all the veterans here today who risked their lives so bravely, bravely, in the face of grave danger. Your service, your courage, your selflessness, your sacrifices, and those of your comrades made all of Canada thankful and proud. We are forever grateful to all of you for your incredible bravery all those years ago. In Health Matters, a plea from Canadian Blood Services this weekend to roll up your sleeves and gift the gift of life. In B.C., there are more than 1,700 open appointments that need to be filled in order to meet the demand this month. Many blood types are needed, especially O-negative, O-positive, B-negative, A-negative, and A-positive. The nonprofit says cancer patients, accident victims, and others rely on blood platelets platelets and plasma donations every day. You can book an appointment at blood.ca. Coming up on the news hour, Nova Scotia's historic flooding, more on the torrential downpours and the search for the missing when we come back. 
Now to the frantic search underway in Nova Scotia after severe thunderstorms triggered widespread flooding. Two vehicles were submerged in the floodwaters. Four people are missing, including two children. There were five occupants in the vehicle. Three escaped. The search is ongoing for these two uh, children. In a separate incident, a youth and another man are uh, unaccounted for after the vehicle that they were traveling in was submerged. There is also significant damage to roads and infrastructure rather caused by the flooding. More than 6,000 homes and businesses are without power across the province. Authorities are asking residents to stay home if they can. Sean O'Shea reports. The rain came fast, came hard, and with an intensity that surprised even those who've witnessed powerful weather here before. It's been very dramatic. It's, uh, it's unlike anything I've seen. In just 24 hours, three months' worth of rain fell, sending a surge of water through the Nova Scotia capital. One area was 280. We would normally get 90 uh, mills a month uh, in July. So just a lot of rain very, very quickly. Officials say there were hundreds of lightning strikes. At least 150 people were forced from their homes in the greater Halifax area. Thousands more lost power. As the heavy rain swept much of the province, causing what's been called a historic flood event. Roads turned into rivers. Even some emergency crews had trouble moving. This social media video shows a fire engine attempting to make its way through deep water. But the water is too much and the firefighters are stuck. At one point, there were fears a hydroelectric dam could breach, but that didn't happen. Some of the worst damage is west of Halifax, where roads and bridges are washed out. We lost a, a number of bridges and a number of other bridges are, are compromised. Uh, it includes damage to 100 series highways on the 103. It includes local roads uh, and, and obviously um, significant property damage. In a summer that's seen crippling wildfires, now Nova Scotia looks to recover from one of the worst summer storms on record. We had a pandemic, we've had fires, we've had, we've had floods. It seems like there, there have been a lot of uh, incidents lately that just kind of make you get, give you pause. And this promise. We will do our very best, all orders of government, as well as the amazing people that work in a volunteer capacity in search and rescue uh, in circumstances like this. Uh, and, um, you know, do the right things and we will uh, uh, we'll make it through. Sean O'Shea, Global News. So thunderstorms out east and we're also going to see that here. Staff Florian joins us now. What can you tell us about that? Well, we have new uh, severe thunderstorm warnings in place for the BCP South. We're tracking a cluster of thunderstorms. We could be seeing uh, nickel-sized hail right now as well as for Prince George. Those are moving northeasterly. So we have seen severe thunderstorms across the north today and severe uh, excessive heat warnings to the south. So we're going to see more heat into tomorrow as well as that chance of more thunderstorms to the north as well as showers. The change is coming Sunday night. We are seeing a system bringing some heavier rainfall to Vancouver Island. You can see there up the Sunshine Coast and that will be hitting Vancouver. So we are going to be getting some much needed precipitation in that yellow. You can see that is rain heavy. So Monday's the day we're going to see a drop in temperatures, a nice cool down, but also this is the rain that we've been needing. It's short lived. However, your forecast for tomorrow, we've got a chance of showers on the coast, terrace at 20, so much cool 
cooler. Smithers, we've got that chance of afternoon thunder shower activity as well as for Fort Nelson, but dry for Fort St. John under a mix of sun and cloud as well as Prince George and Quinnell. As we move south tomorrow, another day of this heat in the uh, mid 30 region, especially for Castlegar, Kamloops, Kelowna at 33 degrees tomorrow. Not much in the way of cloud cover at all. It's a sunny, hot day. Vailmont will see mostly cloudy with that risk of uh, thunderstorm activity. The winds have been gusty today. We'll see a gusty winds again tomorrow uh, for much of BC. Port Hardy 19 degrees. We're going to see some afternoon showers roll in along with those clouds for Vancouver Island. They'll get some of that rain first and that'll be Monday for us. But tomorrow 24 to 27 out towards the valley under a mix of sun and cloud for your day on Sunday. Showers Monday dropping to 20 so below seasonal and then Tuesday we could see a few more showers before we're at least comfortable for the next few days. Back to you. All right. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Hundreds of people gathering around the waters of Falls Creek to catch indigenous canoe racing this weekend. The second annual Four Fires Festival has up to 300 competitors in all ages teams, from kids to elite athletes from up and down the West Coast participating. The teams race in two types of canoes, traditional dugout canoes carved from a single giant western red cedar or in cedar strip canoes. The return of the ancient sport is also a celebration of Indigenous culture. Carrying on a, the cultural tradition of gathering together, and sharing our culture together is the main reason we, we carry on uh, the canoe racing. Yeah. Up to 50,000 spectators are expected to cheer on the competitors who are racing between Science World and the Camby Street Bridge. The races run again from noon to 6 p.m. Sunday. Vancouver firefighters are sharing video of a daring dog rescue on social media. It happened at the On Cue condo building on Quebec Street at West Broadway. Somehow a medium-sized dog ended up perched on a ledge about four stories above the street. According to the Post, a Vancouver police member was able to lure the dog with treats. And you can see the officer grabbing the pooch and pulling him over the balcony railing to safety. Firefighters say they've saved their share of cats from trees, but the VPD says saving dogs from balconies is a new one. Of course it is. Clearly not afraid of heights. Yeah, that, that dog, was, was it me or was he looking kind of chill up there? Yeah, right. Rescue, uh, I guess, uh, but I'm okay. And gets treats. Yeah, and also dogs are thankful for everything, so I'm sure. Yeah, and talk about treats. You're here, so what can you tell us about sports? That's very true. No, uh, I appreciate the intro. I know the Lions are on the field right now at uh, BC Place. Beautiful day. Lots of Ryder fans. They're not so happy because the Lions are winning, although... Vernon Adams Jr., their starting quarterback, got injured on the very first series, so he has not returned. So that's the bad news, but we'll have uh, up-to-date highlights on that and a look back at that wild Whitecaps game last night where they had 38 shooters in the penalty shootout, one of the most maybe ever in North America. So we'll look back at that. Wow. Okay. Thanks so much, Barry. Well, coming up on the News Hour, addressing the housing crunch in Canada. More on the growing demand for houses with secondary units like basements, apartments, and laneway homes when we return. A high interest rate environment combined with a red hot rental market has boosted the popularity of secondary suites, whether that's a laneway home or basement suite. As Anne Gaviola explains, housing experts say they're helping to combat a lack of rental supply while improving affordability for some. 
At a time when rent in Canada's most expensive cities is through the roof and mortgage costs continue to climb, secondary units are providing some relief on the affordability front. This creates an opportunity to generate some rental income. Sometimes when purchasing, some lenders will incorporate that income as a part of your qualifier income. A basement apartment, laneway home or some other secondary add-on also presents opportunities for multiple generations to cohabitate. With trends um, of many newcomers and multi-generational uh, living within one dwelling, it provides an option for uh, maybe not a tenant, but maybe a family member to, to live within that property. Changes in zoning bylaws in Ontario and Alberta offer greater flexibility for secondary suites that have their own private entrance in pre-existing homes. Estimating the number of secondary units isn't easy. Based on municipal data, the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation figures nearly one in six houses in the city of Toronto that has direct access to the street or a public space had a legal secondary unit for a total of 75,000 in 2021. Now, we don't have an updated figure, but by all accounts, they are more popular than ever before in Canada's most expensive cities. Rents. Um have been growing at such a fast rate that it, it definitely seems like a, a strong investment right now. A new Angus Reid poll shows 60% of Canadians say the central bank's latest interest rate increases are causing them some form of financial pain. Now, a secondary unit can inflate a home price, but it can also contribute towards mortgage payments. There are costs involved with owning rental properties, right? So this is, uh, that has to be factored. You're a landlord, right? And there's all the the rights and responsibilities that landlords have. Secondary units are sometimes referred to as gentle density, adding much needed places to live during a supply crunch, because any way you slice it, we are not building enough homes for a growing population. Housing experts say these types of dwellings can help ease the crisis. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. Straight ahead in sports, the BC Lions versus the Rough Riders. It's the battle of the defenses as the home team takes on the third place Riders. Stay with us. Don't miss the Vancouver International Polo Festival. Spend an afternoon at a world-class polo event and a classic car show, all while enjoying the sounds and tastes of Mexico. Just 10 minutes from downtown. VancouverPoloFest.com for info. Stanley Park will be filled with laughter this summer. The Great Outdoors Comedy Festival is back on September 15th and 16th with Canadian comedy icon Russell Peters and Hollywood megastar Kevin Hart as headlining acts. See full lineup online. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event, build your community. Global BC Community Hub, bringing your worlds together. Barry is back in the Lions, underway right now. Yeah, they're still still going on down in the final minutes at BC Place. It looks pretty good, but uh, as you know, it's not over till it's over. Nope. Yogi Berra once said 80 years ago, and we keep repeating it all the time. <laughs> all right, thanks, Julie. Uh, the Lions were back at it tonight at BC Place against the Rough Riders. Always a fun game with Rider Nation well represented. O over 25,000 watching this one. BC had last week off, so plenty of gas in the tank. Lions with a chance to reclaim first in the West if they could beat Saskatchewan. Beautiful day at BC Place in the sunshine. So if you've got abs, you got to show them. Vernon Adams Jr. averaging over 300 yards passing per game so far, but not much going early. He gets sacked, and he goes down awkwardly, obviously shaken up on the play, struggling with his knee. He went to the medical tent, 
tried it out on the bike a few minutes later, but just too painful to go on, so he did not return. But he has been on the sidelines with a big smile on his face, so hopefully not too serious. Dane Evans comes on in the next series and gets a rude welcome, blasted as well in the end zone. But that was a roughing the passer call, a hit to the head. So no safety there for the riders. So the Lions continue the drive, and that was big because Evans finds Keon Hatcher over the middle. Hatcher does the rest. That's a 53-yard pass and run, and the Lions are in scoring position. Next play, it's Evans with a beautiful touch pass to Alexander Hollins. 27 yards for the touchdown. That's why the Lions signed Evans. Lots of CFL experience with Hamilton, a great insurance policy, and hey, Pretty nifty play there to pop up to celebrate the touchdown. 7-3 at the half. Third quarter, Woody Barron explodes into the backfield. That Lion defense ranked number one in the CFL for a reason. Only five TDs allowed playing game number six. Now 7-6. It's the former Langley Ram. Javon Katoy gets a first down. He was shaken up on that play. Got a field goal out of it, though. Uh, led 10-6. He stayed in the game. Dominic Rimes, though, has missed the second half. So a lot of injuries tonight. This looked positive. Sean Shiver takes it in for the touchdown but not so fast called back due to a holding penalty Lions got another field goal and they lead 16-6 right now late in the fourth the Whitecaps did not win their league's cup match against Mexican side Club Leon last night at BC Place but it was one of the most entertaining Whitecaps games ever thanks to two fantastic goals by Sergio Cordova who is really heating up after a slow start and then an epic shootout that went 19 rounds before the Caps finally fell just short. So the Caps do get a point from the game, but Leon gets a bonus point for winning the shootout. Now Vancouver needs to get some sort of result next Saturday in L.A. against the Galaxy to advance to the next round of the competition. Let's look at, take a look back. Ryan Gauld, Caps' best player this year, but Sergio Cordova is starting to show his quality. Great feed from Sebastian Berhalter, an amazing finish there by Cordova. Third straight game he scored, and then Ryan Gauld, a great job to control the ball. Perfectly timed pass as Cordova crossed and then finished another beautiful finish. That is a quality goal in any league. 2-1. It ended up 2-2, so they go to penalty kicks. Uh, usually it's five penalty kicks and it's determined. Sometimes they go a little more, but as you can see, it never seemed to end and uh, both teams just kept putting the ball into the back of the net. The Whitecaps made a lot of pressure kicks. Actually, the goalkeepers even had to go after the first 10 players on each side scored and both goalkeepers scored. So they kept going and it kept going until the 19th shooter for Vancouver, Luis Martins missed his first one. Actually, there's another great one that Vandy's going, is this ever going to end? But there's Luis Martins, missed his first one. And on his second one, oh, too bad, hits the post as well. So Club Leon wins 16-15 on PKs on a memorable night at BC Place. Uh, I don't know if many, many of the boys, for us or for them, have been to... Uh, what was it, 19 penalties each? I, I can't see a lot of people going through that in their whole career, so yeah, it was something. Yeah, it was an important game against a really good team that's shown well and they won the CONCACAF Champions League, so we knew it was going to be a tough challenge, and it was, and I think we were uh, unlucky to come out of there with, you know, the, the tie it in, in regular time and then the losing in penalties. Uh, but I think it was a fun experience. Obviously, it was a very intense penalty shootout, but um, yeah, we get, at least we get a point out of it and we move on uh, to, to Galaxy next week. It was a very good performance against a very good team and um, I'm pleased that we had uh, one 
we put one point on the board and then the penalty we had twice the chance to win and we missed the penalty and uh, you know at the end uh, it went so long and uh, okay so we have one point we need to go to LA make a result there and go through the go through the the, the competition that's it Canadian Premier League from Langley today. Vancouver FC taking on Cavalry out of Calgary. Cavalry got an early chance from the spot, and it's Meyer Bevan who smashes it past Callum Irving. 1-0 Cavalry. Vancouver down to 10 men as well, as there was a straight red card on the foul that led to that penalty. But Vancouver respond a couple minutes later. Min Jae Kwok, beautiful cross across goal. Alejandro Diaz with the finish. So it's 1-1, but it was all Cavalry after that. They went up 2-1, and then a nice spin move from Ali Musi, he has stopped, but Sergio Camargo has a wise open net. 5-1 the final. Cavalry move into first place. Vancouver is in last place in the eight-team CPL. Baseball from Seattle. Tens of thousands of Blue Jay fans hoping to see a win. Mariners won last night and have won five in a row over Toronto at T-Mobile Park. Wild game. Seattle struck for three runs in the third with three solo homers. The last from Julio Rodriguez off Kevin Gossman. So 3 nothing M's. But then the Blue Jays do the exact same thing in the fifth. It starts with Kevin Kiermaier with a solo shot to right. That to cut the Seattle lead to 3-2. And then later in the inning with one on Brandon Belt belts a two run shot to right center and the Jays lead 4-3 and the fans having a good time of course they probably spent hours at the border trying to get across now they are in their seats enjoying this game. The next pitch, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. launches one. First ever homer in Seattle for Vladdy, not counting all those uh, bombs he hit in the home run derby a couple of weeks ago. So it looked good for Toronto. But on a day they finally got some big hits, the pitching staff wilted. Cal Raleigh hits his second homer of the game off Gosman. Raleigh just eats up Blue Jay pitching. Four homers this year versus Toronto in five games. It's 5-4. Jays went up 7-4, but the bullpen implodes. J.P. Crawford pulls one past Guerrero. That scores two. Nate Pearson, who's been really good this year, four runs in just a third of an inning. So it's 7-all. Jimmy Garcia comes in, but he cannot get former Blue Jay T.I. Oscar Hernandez, who pulls an 0-2 pitch into the left field corner to score two. Teoscar had the game-winning RBI last night. Same thing today. 9-8. Seattle wins, spoiling the mood for all those Blue Jay fans in Seattle. They play again tomorrow at 1 o'clock. And third round of the Open Championship. American Brian Harmon with a five-shot lead over Englishman Tommy Fleetwood when the day began. But before they even teed off, John Rahm was making a lot of noise at Royal Liverpool. Got his historic round going at the ninth. Rolls in the birdie just two under at the turn but just getting started Corey Connors the only Canadian to make the cut Nick Taylor missed the cut smooth stroke out of the uh, right rough on 12 for Connors led to one of his four birdies three under 68 for Corey moved up 16 spots on the leaderboard tied 24th he's at one under back to Rom all he did on the back was birdie six of his nine holes fired a course record eight under 63 to beat the record by two he's now solo third at 600. Now, Brian Harmon has only won two PGA Tour events in 15 years. And if he got, he did get off to a bit of a wobbly start, bogeyed his first hole, and then Tommy Fleetwood got that birdie. So all of a sudden, that five shot lead was down to two. But 
That's the only birdie Fleetwood would get. Stays at five under, tied fourth. He really didn't do a whole lot today. Harmon's lead was down to two, as we said, but he did a great job to steady the ship. And this tee shot at the par three ninth really kick-started him again to have a great back nine. That helped settle the nerves. Another birdie there. Got some breathing room. American Cameron Young uh, finished runner-up at last year's Open to Cam Smith. He's in contention again, a 5-under-66. He's solo second at 7. But Brian Harmon showing everyone that uh, he means business trying to win his first major. Approach on 12 is perfect. Sets up his third birdie of the round. He gets to 11-under. And then on the par 3 15th, Another birdie for Harmon, and he appears to be in full control. Two under 69, 12 under for the tournament. A big five-shot lead on Cameron Young entering the final day. The last player to blow a five-shot, 54-hole lead at a major was Jean Vandeveld at the Open Championship back in 1999 when he made that infamous seven on the 18th and lost in a playoff. But probably not going to happen tomorrow. Okay. Thank you. That's Barry. it. Sounds good. Okay. Well, still to come on Global News Hour, just how destructive bears can really be when we come back. Dang bears. <laughs> well, it's not quite a garbage bin, but a bear on Vancouver Island is reminding us just how destructive they can be if they put their minds to it. Rick West shared this video of his game camera being ripped off by a curious bear last month. After getting up close and personal, the bear gets its paws into the steel protective case and rips it open. It inspected the other contents of the case before turning its attention back to the camera. Now, after a while, it appears the animal got bored and simply walked away. <laughs> The lesson is not to coat your camera with honey, because that's what bears love. I mean, Winnie the Pooh, let's go. Oh, you're so smart. I need to Barry. do that. I need to put a camera on my garbage bin because it's just ripping the lid right off. So I might have to steal They're that smart. idea. Yeah, yeah. all that. Um, quick last mention of weather. What have we got? We have some showers in the forecast. How about that? Mm. And a drop in temperatures on Monday. So that's the best we're going to get this week is uh, some showers Monday. So we'll have to take it. Okay. Thanks so much for being with us. Have a great night. Good night.